0: So what I'm going to do this afternoon is try and encapsulate 25 years of cross-cultural experience, 10 years of uh, missionary experience, and 15 years of thinking about uh, what it means to be in a sort of postmodern uh, in, in this world, in, the, in our society, into just two hours. That's what you said? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh no.
1: <laughs>
0: or less. Or maybe less. <laughs> so I think we have to be out by 6.30, isn't it? So it should be fine. It should be right. Uh, so, yeah, really, I want to take us beyond our comfort zone. And um, it's not really an exact sermon, it's going to be Bible based, uh, but also want to get us thinking practically about the mission that we have as a church and you know, to go out into the world, what the mission is to go beyond Streatham, beyond our comfort zone, beyond our natural world where, where we naturally hang out. Uh, hang out. Um, and as we do that, we're going to be thinking to begin with, in relation to that passage, about Your Place or Mine. I'm going to do that by thinking about two films. One which is a bit old now, and you may not have seen it. It's not that good, but I enjoyed it at the time. Field of Dreams with uh, Kevin Costner. Uh, anyone tell me the basic plot of Field of, of Dreams? Uh,
2: no,
0: I actually can't tell you the plot, but it's a good film. <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> it's not that difficult a plot. So he's on a plot. Fa- oh, anyone else know it?
1: Absolutely. Baseball yeah. coach. Uh, well, I've been told there's a field here. If you go and stand there, big crowd team they will come. I'm sure you they do. Um, they're legends, though. They're, they're not. They're
0: not. They're all sort of old, yeah. famous baseball players, and then a whole crowd of people come to go and watch it. It's a completely stupid movie, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just this, You build it in the middle of the field, and then suddenly people will come. That was that, that's that film, and then there's another film or set of films and TV shows to boldly go where no one has gone before, which uh, yeah, uh, so Star Trek. So that, that's the complete opposite. You go out there uh, in, into the whole universe rather than expecting them to come to you. Uh, so that's really the difference uh, that we're talking about here. Um, if you build it, they will come versus boldly go out uh, to where no one has gone before. And um, we see that, actually, in this uh, parable that we've, we've looked at. Um, it's not exactly in those terms, but uh, we see that that sense of it, as I show from these pictures. The first half was where those who were invited uh, were their natural friends—you know, the, the, the kind of people you would naturally invite to the banquet. Those are the ones who were in, invited, uh, and you would think uh, they they'd said yes already, so you'd think they actually would come. But when it came to the actual day, they all gave their different excuses. Uh, they'd bought a field, they'd got these five oxen that they um, wanted to look after, or well, they just got married. All very weak and poor excuses. Um, and they were, uh, they were the natural people to go to the banquets. They were the sort of insiders, uh, the usual crowd to invite, and yet they, they didn't want to come. And so uh, that's the kind of uh, the natural sort of people around you who would come to a banquet. And then there's the others who actually came in the end. Uh, They were those that the servant went out to go and fetch to come to the banquet. Uh, The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Uh, All these different people that uh, you had to go out to the highways and byways to go and find them and and persuade them uh, to come in. Uh, That's the kind of going out, the going boldly out approach as opposed to the, oh, let's just take who's nearby and invite those and, and the natural people who have come. It's going out, uh, so that's kind of got that sense of it. Uh, And it would have been quite a shocking parable when Jesus told it. He was at a banquet when he told it, and some of those original people who would have fitted into the first category were there. Uh, And Jesus says, uh, the people who are going to come to this banquet are not you guys, it's those out there. The the, the dregs of society, the people that you don't want to be there. Uh, So it's a real challenge uh, to the audience who are listening uh, to think, you know, uh, something that was shocking to them. To reach out to the unreachable, to the people you would never want to uh, reach out to. And actually that uh, whole picture, if you take up the, the whole of the Bible, we see something of that sense in, in the way the, the Bible message kind of develops over time. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 12 in uh, Abraham... Uh, God said to Abraham, I will make you you into a great nation, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham was going to be the father of that nation, and there's talk of blessings for the other nations, uh, but it's starting with Abraham and the people of Israel. In fact, this is quite interesting, uh, that in Exodus 19, verse 6, um, God says, just before giving the Ten Commandments, uh, to the people of Israel, you will be for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, it's not that that uh, he would later on talk about the, the high priest and the appointment of, of the priests and the Levites and all of that kind of thing. But the whole nation was to be uh, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Uh, and that's uh, one where the other nations would look and that they would be drawn uh, to come to Israel, to worship with Israel, to worship in Jerusalem, to worship uh, at the temple. Uh, that was very much as a Centripetal, if you want a, a physical, a physics term, where it all comes inwards, uh, or to if you build it, they will come type of approach. If you want the field of dreams analogy, but then we get to well, there's many passages we could look at, but we get to something like Isaiah, where uh, God makes this kind of promise or, or uh, prediction of the future: "I will make you a life for the Gentiles, that my, uh, my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth." Isaiah. 49 verse 6. There's a thought that you're going to actually be reaching out, be a light to the other nations around you. Uh, and that's something that I guess Israel was supposed to be, but ultimately this is one of those servant songs. It's, it's pointing forward to Jesus when he would come uh, and fulfill that, which is why I put it over that bit about the idea of redemption and we get to the Gospels. That's when Jesus came to fulfill this, to, to be a light to the Gentiles, to provide salvation. Uh, to the ends of the earth. It's all through Jesus, isn't it, that this happens. And then Jesus, as we've seen uh, last week, as you see at the end of uh, Matthew 28, and you see it in Acts. He says, uh, you will be my witnesses to the early church, to the disciples, uh, to the Christians, who, uh, the, the first Christians. Uh, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So now we see it's not come to Jerusalem... And, uh, and worship together with the people of Israel, it's now go out, go boldly out to the ends of the Truth. earth. It's, a, it's now centrifugal, not centripetal, if you want those terms. It's not, if you build it, they will come. It's go boldly out to the ends of the earth. Uh, and we lead to, uh, that's the wrong uh, reference, not Acts 1, 8. It's Revelation. Uh, sorry, wrong reference. Maybe you can look it up later. But Revelation, it looks forward to that day. Uh, when John, John says, I saw a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language. It's not the Israelites only. It's people from all over the world uh, will be there worshipping together uh, in heaven. Uh, that's where we end up. Uh, so the promise that was made to Abraham uh, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you is ultimately fulfilled through Jesus, uh, through the work of the church. Uh, and we'll be seen as we meet together uh, in heaven uh, from every tribe and nation. We'll look a bit more about what it means to be uh, about nations and tribes and people and language uh, a little bit later on. That's kind of the, the sort of theology of it. the, uh, the What it looks like. Um, just show you one of my, these pictures. Center people type thing. So in the Old Testament it was like this. You've got Israel and these other surrounding nations. There's very much a sense that they were to come uh, and... Uh, join with Israel to worship together. Uh, But then when we move to the New Testament, we see that the church is to go out uh, into places. First of all, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the world, the ends of the world. It's that movement out, further and further out was the mission of the church. And whereas uh, previously Israel was a kingdom of priests... Uh, and a holy nation. Uh, as we've seen in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, we've seen this, read this verse a number of times over the past few weeks. Uh, it's no longer a, a nation, but it's the individual people. You are like living stones and being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. Each one of us uh, is a part of that now. And we, in our different places, get to go out uh, and bring the gospel to those who need to hear it. So that's really the sort of theological uh, overview of it, that uh, we're no longer expecting people to come uh, to Israel. Uh, we're expecting the, to go out with the gospel to the different ends of the world. Go into the world and go beyond our comfort zone. And what does it look like if we're going beyond our comfort zone? Uh, we're going to look at a few things that we, we might have to change, might have to be a bit uncomfortable about uh, if we're going to go beyond our comfort zone I and mean, if we're going to go out into the all, all the world. It's a nice phrase, but now we've got, we actually got to do it. Now, for some people, this is uh, Hudson Taylor. So we were with uh, OMF for 10 years. Uh, and Hudson Taylor was founder of, of OMF. It was China Inland Mission. At the time. And he caused a great controversy when he went out because uh, he didn't do what the other missionaries did. The other missionaries went and they looked very English or American or whatever they were. Uh, They went and set up a very, uh, you know, sort of American church or British church, whatever it was. Everything was just the same as in the UK but transported over to China. Uh, And that was the way they did mission. They set up these mission compounds, and you know, inside there, you'd think you're in uh, the West. It'd be very uh, westernised. Mm-hmm. But you can see even from this picture that Hudson Taylor was dressing a little bit differently. Uh, he's wearing Chinese clothes. Uh, he um, he had a pigtail, which was the uh, sort of way that the Chinese people used to dress. The men used to dress at that time. They used to have a long pigtail, uh, and he grew a pigtail to look like the Chinese. He ate with chopsticks, rather than with a knife and fork. You know, he crossed those boundaries. He went outside of his comfort zone uh, for the sake of the gospel. And kind of the word we use for that is contextualization. Uh, he uh, took himself out of his own culture, went outside of his comfort zone uh, to go and reach uh, and, and relate to uh, the local people, the Chinese people. <coughs> Now, just get, I'm getting a bit missiological here now. There's this guy called Roland Allen from, from about 1910 or 1900, somewhere around there. He wrote a, a very significant book, which um, is, was called, uh, What's it called? Missionary Methods, uh, St. Paul's or Ours. And obviously, it's trying to say, the way that we're doing mission, uh, missionary work is a, is a British way. It's the way from our culture. We're not looking at what Paul did when he went out with the gospel. And so he sort of challenged the way that the mission was done, in the same way that Hudson Taylor was challenging uh, the way that the mission was done. Uh, and particularly he said three things. And we saw this in Vietnam, by the way. The churches in Vietnam were formed from around the same time that, that he wrote his book. And so they took on uh, this, uh, which was about 1910, like I said. They took on this idea that a church should have three things. It should be self-governing, self-financing, and self-evangelizing. In other words, it's not the foreign missionaries who govern the church and decide what the church should do. It should be the local people. Uh, it's not the foreign missionaries who provide funding, but the church should be able to fund itself, uh, even if they do things differently. And again, it's not the foreign missionaries who should go and plant the new churches. That church should plant uh, other churches itself. Uh, so, these are, these are principles that were developed around that time and uh, were very helpful in taking the church forward. But but if you saw the church in Vietnam today, and these churches are totally built on these principles, and it has achieved these things. When the missionaries left in 1975 because of communism, the churches continued to be able to exist when the government didn't close them down (coughs) uh, because they'd already established these principles. Uh, So that was great. But if you see the churches today, you see that they look very Western. The way they do church, they, they they have choirs. In fact, they're more Western than the Western churches. <laughs> so they they have when they have a choir come up, uh, and they're all wearing these robes, you know, sort of uh, sort of choir robes that you might see um, in in some churches. And uh, the the way they run the service is 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 very formal and very organised according to how it was done a hundred years ago uh, in in the West. And they haven't moved on. They've they've kept the culture, the church culture. Uh, that they were taught from the missionaries. Uh, So, basically, there was a step that was missing, which is... uh, And David Bosch is a uh, sort of mythological... You don't really need to know his name. There's other people as well who looked into this. But he talked about self-theologizing or contextualizing. The fact that we need to present what the Bible says in the context of the local people. Um, And so, rather than just bringing our own Christian culture... Um, we need to uh, present it in a way that was suitable uh, for that culture. And we'll look at that in a minute, what what that kind of looks like and where the tension is for that. So, that's kind of the the missiological theory of it. What does it look like in practice? Well, if we're going to do mission beyond our comfort zone, we need to change some things about what we do. And one of the things we might need to think about doing is changing how we evangelize. Uh, because the world has not stayed the same, uh, and we may need to evangelise in a different way. Previously, in the before this century, uh, you could evangelise actually very easily, um, because people would just come to church. Uh, so, in a church service, as long as you preach the gospel, you've got people coming in uh, who are not Christians. Uh, they may be uh, religious, they may be respectable. They may be family members, your children, your grandchildren, whoever. They'll be coming to church because that's what everyone did. And so in church, you could evangelize, you could preach the gospel and take people from being not Christians to Christians. They had that opportunity to do that. uh, Because if you build that church, they will come. That was the way it worked. But now it's not the same, is it? So 21st century uh, Britain is not like that. Now we need to boldly go. It says boldly go. Sorry, just off the edge. Uh, and we need to go out to these different people. We need to go out to. So it's quite small. I'll read them out. We need to go out to the to the agnostics, to the atheists, to the outcasts, to the minorities, to those of other religions, to those who are unchurched. Right before there weren't really anyone who was uh, who were unchurched. They may have uh, we'll see. They may have been dechurched. They may have gone to church and stopped. But there's, but now there's a whole bunch of people who know nothing about church whatsoever. We could never expect them to come to church, um, just walk in off the street. It's not going to happen. We have to go out to them. Uh, so w- w- the church has to change how to evangelize compared with how we used to do it um, in the last century and before. Uh, there needs to be that change. And probably the, the church in general has been quite slow uh, to pick up the fact that we need to do that. We need to change how we evangelize. And what does that mean for us? That's something to think about. How do we need to change how we evangelize, in the light of the fact that people are not just going to walk in no matter how up-to-date our services are. We also need to change what we say.
1: <laughs>
0: so they may see our mouths moving, but they don't know what we're saying. We may be saying things to uh, if we're trying to evangelize. We share the gospel with people at work, with people in our street, with our neighbors, with those in Streatham. Uh, we can use all kinds of words, uh, but they, they just won't understand us. We talk about grace, we talk about sin, we talk about redemption, we talk about forgiveness, we talk about all of those things, we talk about God, we talk about Jesus. What do they know about those things? They may have some vague idea, but we can't assume that they, they are even speaking the same language. Uh, the words come out, but they don't know what we're saying. And uh, Paul actually was very good at this, and I'm just going to briefly look at some of the ways that uh, Paul... Um, contextualize what he had to say. First of all, um, it's worth remembering this. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 25. Um, He didn't compromise the gospel. So in terms of contextualizing the message, the gospel doesn't change. So he said, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, he's not changing the message, he's preaching Christ crucified. To those that think it's foolish, uh, to those that are looking for signs, uh, to those who are looking for wisdom. He doesn't change that message, no matter how others may uh, receive it. The message uh, stays the same. But he was flexible on everything else. Uh, so he says this in the same book. right? So it's not that we're reading one. You know, he's changed his mind and written a, a different letter. This is the same letter. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. He says this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Uh, Again, we'll look at what that looks like uh, a little bit more. Uh, but let's look about uh, how he kept that gospel but, but thought about this, was flexible on how he said it in, in different places. <coughs> so, of course, uh, Paul went all over the area from Jerusalem through to uh, Corinth, As- Athens, uh, onto Rome and so on. Uh, and in different places he had a different approach. So in Antioch, uh, which is uh, Antioch the, the one up there, not the one on the, on the right. There's another one. Uh, he met a bunch of God-fearers, people who had some knowledge of God. They, they worship God of, of a form. And he says to them, Fellow children of, Israel, of, of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles. So he addresses them. He knows where they're at. And so he talks to them about something that God-fearers, people who knew about the Old Testament, would, could relate to. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors... He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. He goes from where they are and he brings Jesus into it. So he he builds on their Old Testament background. Then in Lystra, he met a bunch of completely different people. They were uh, peasant polytheists. Uh, They believed in Zeus and uh, these other sort of Greek gods. So they said about Paul, uh, the gods have come down to us in human form. They thought that Paul was a god. Um, and Silas, I think it was, with him, and so he replies and picks up on what they said, but turns it around. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We bring you, uh, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He turns it around. He takes their worldview and he shows them uh, uh, how. Uh, it's different when they know about God. He starts at where they are at. Then in Athens, a quite famous one, Athens in Acts chapter 17. So they say to him, may we know this new teaching that, uh, that you are presenting. And, uh, and he talks to them, and, and he, in his response, he takes that uh, inscription to an unknown God uh, that was there in Athens. And tells them, you know, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm about to proclaim to you. He takes it from their situation and turns it round into a gospel opportunity. A couple more examples. I won't won't go through these. But in Jerusalem, he had a hostile Jewish mob. And again, he finds a way of speaking to them. And then in Caesarea, when he was arrested, he was talking to the governing elites. and, And so he's talking to King Agrippa. And there he finds a way of talking to him and bringing the gospel into that. So you can read through Acts and see all the different ways that he deals with the different cultures. He knew about how to contextualize a message without changing the gospel, to bring it to so many different kinds of people. (coughs) Well, we also need to change what we'll do. And uh, this kind of relates to the Hudson Taylor one a little bit. Um, Because Hudson Taylor, he did stuff that made him look a bit silly. He put a pigtail on and he (coughs) wore Chinese clothes. Um, and a bit like Baloo in the in Jungle Book, he tried to make himself look like a, a monkey. And in fact, the monkey wanted to be like uh, like a human, didn't he? he wanted to be a, the monkey king, wanted to be human. So uh, you can we can do things which are silly uh, to try and uh, adapt to the culture around us, I guess. Um, and we need to be sensible about what we need to change and what we don't need to change. Uh, so uh, you know, we could. I know there's many examples. Maybe we can think about what's a good thing to do and what isn't a good thing to do. Later, let's have a think about it later. But when we're doing that, I wanted to think really that we're actually in a, a war of the war of the worldviews. Uh, so there's all these different worldviews that interact when we think about you know what we should change, what we shouldn't change. And really, there are three main ones. There's uh, the culture around us. So We're living in Streatham, and the people in Streatham have a certain way of thinking. Uh, The the people we naturally relate to, our friends, have a certain way of thinking. They've got a certain worldview, how they, their their outlook on life. Then there's church. So we as a church have got our own worldview. We've got our way, uh, our view about how we should do church, about what it means uh, to be a Christian. And that's not necessarily the same as the third one, which is a Bible worldview. Okay? So the Bible worldview, we should definitely you know, stick to that and not change that. Uh, we need to stick to what the Bible says. But on, on things about church and culture, we need to evaluate those against the Bible uh, and make sure that we're not just carrying forward our church traditions and church culture um, when the Bible allows another way. You know? So what, what can we change of these? Uh, and where can we be flexible? Uh, so that we can reach out to our culture. And that's a question. You know, do we change the way we do church? Uh, do we change how much we get involved in culture, got involved in people's lives, the activities we get involved in? When, is, when are we going too far in these things? So these are questions we need to think about rather than just stay with our current way of doing things, work about where we're flexible and where we can't be flexible. So we we'll think about that a little bit. And so these are some of the ways we could think about, um, we can uh, change, as we think about these different worldviews, what can we change to reach our friends? What can we change about the things that we're doing with our, our lives? Uh, how we're interacting with those of maybe even the same culture as us, um, but are we spending all our time in our church culture that we have no time uh, for the cult- to reach out um, to our friends what can we change so that we can reach out better to our friends? Thinking a bit further afield, not just those friends, not the people we're comfortable with, but what about those from other people groups, other cultures? Uh, and there are plenty of those in Streatham. What are we doing to, uh, and what can we change so that we can cross over those barriers? It's a little bit harder now, isn't it? It's bad enough reaching out to our friends. We have a Christian culture... And we need to reach out to our non-Christian friends. That's bad enough. But what about other people groups who have very different ways of doing things quite often? What about this one? This is interesting. And I picked up this one from a, an example of North Korea. Uh, so, in, um, if you were to disciple believers uh, in North Korea, uh, what kind of topics would you disciple them on? Uh, think about that. Oh, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, Sim what do you think would be some of the topics or
3: disciples
0: yes what, what do you think they would need to, let's say someone from North Korea became a Christian yeah. what do you think they would uh, they would need help with having come from being a non-Christian to being a Christian what would be the issues that or anyone else actually persecution persecution yeah
1: view of authority yeah. view of
0: authority yeah particularly the sort of Confucian sort of thing maybe that's sort of deep deep rooted and also the communist aspect to it mm.
4: Yeah.
2: They, they
0: idolise
3: leaders, and that's really
0: hard to shake. Yeah. Um, Carl, I was just going to say uh, how to. I'm guessing here how to trust your other brothers and sisters in the yeah. church. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right because they're used to being very secretive and yeah. Just yeah. food and food
0: sacrificed dogs. Yeah, absolutely. So ancestor worship is probably a very strong thing in a sort of Buddhist or animistic. Uh, uh, sort of Southeast Asian context, yeah. So that's a whole, yeah. Now, all the anything else? I think that's quite a good selection. But those are things, so go ahead.
2: Survival. So they they're used to surviving by just doing whatever they can, no matter what morals come into it.
5: Yeah. So they would use people to get what they want
0: now. Yeah. That's
5: how we have
0: done it for years. Yeah, and bribery as well. Things like bribery and corruption uh, come into that. So a whole bunch of things that you need to disciple. And you, if we had a North Korean... Uh, or a Vietnamese uh, or a Cuban uh, Christian or something uh, come in uh, to our church, we'd find we'd have to disciple them in a whole range of things that just wouldn't be an issue for us. Uh, and vice versa, of course, we have a bunch of issues that wouldn't be an issue for them. So if we find ourselves with different cultures and different people groups in amongst us, we're going to have to find ways of discipling one another. Um, in And it uh, might mean... Uh, the kind of materials we use might have to change, or be adapted, or the approach we take. Uh, another thing is uh, what we could think about changing, or not. That may be the case. You know, how much are we going to? You know, talked about uh, going out into the world or uh, attracting people to come in. You know, how much do we make the church attractional so that people want to come here? Versus how much do we make the church? Uh, uh, do we as a church go out there? Uh, missionally, which is a kind of a word that uh, sums up all this sort of cross cultural contextualization type of stuff. You know, how much we're we looking to go out there versus how much we're we looking for people to come in. Uh, what do we need to change so that we can do one or the other better? Uh, these are, you know, lots of things to think about if we're serious about reaching out to d- different cultures just in Stretton, let alone the rest of the world. And then we also need to think about changing who we go to. That's kind of mixed in with that. So we saw in Acts, didn't we, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and beyond. We saw that sort of going out further and further to going boldly out. And in our context in this society, that means going, it used to be, as I said before, the churched, the religious, and then it became the de church those who used to go to church and we're trying to get to come back. But now we're very much moving into the unchurched, people who've never... Being to church. We need to go further out uh, to find ways to bring the gospel to people. We need to change who we go to now compared with who we used to uh, try and reach. And that means uh, we need to reach out to uh, the, the culture that we're familiar with, the different people groups of Streatham and the whole world really beyond Streatham as well. We need to think about how we can reach beyond Streatham. just going to finish off with a couple of quite technical things uh, which uh, relate to mission, but I think uh, do it really quickly, and then we'll have some time to think about some of these things. If we're going to go out into all the world, to all people, what, is it, what does all people mean, first of all? And uh, the, the term that we've looked at, uh, pre- it says uh, nations go out in, into all the world, uh, the, the, it talks about all nations, um, is actually... The, the word we often use now is people group. You know, so it's a group of people uh, who share things in common. Uh, and the reason that uh, it's quite popular to talk about this is, is probably this verse. This has been the motivation for mission around the world for, you know, for many years. The verse that says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So a mission has often been driven by a desire to see, the, you know, see Jesus return. Um, on the basis that, you know, we need to get the gospel out to all the nations. Uh, But that word nation doesn't mean country, Uh, it means peoples. You know, that's more the sense of it, the word uh, people. Um, But what is a people? And there are different definitions, but one definition that uh, is quite commonly used is this. A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. That's a bit uh a bit wordy. But it's a, it's one you find this on the Joshua project or some you know website like that. Basically they're saying the gospel can only spread if you've got a bunch of people who can understand the gospel, you know, if they've got something in common. Now it might be the same language, but it also involves culture. Uh so lots of people uh in I I know international cafe they can speak English. Uh, but there's still that cultural barrier that makes it so that the words that are said uh, don't really make sense Uh, you can say the same words but they don't understand because they don't have the cultural background to put it in a context Uh, so when we think about people groups you've got to think of groups of people that you need to actually take a different approach to evangelize because uh, the words that you use won't be understood otherwise Uh, so that means that in Streatham itself there'll be whole areas where we need to take different approaches to reach them with the gospel. Uh, because it simply won't understand the language that we use. Um, even if we were to talk about middle class and working class, you probably find uh, that people have different ways of understanding things, and you have to have different ways of speaking to those groups. And often, uh, in terms of people groups, that may depend on these different factors. So it, it, obviously the country you're in will affect it, the language you speak. So for Vietnam, you could say Vietnam is an unreached country, but that doesn't really work because Vietnam has 80 people groups, um, some of which may have been reached for the gospel, others not, all in the same country. So you have to look at language and ethnicity and culture, and all of these together help you know who, where you've got a different uh, people group. Another thing to say about just finally about unreached, So, we don't want to just go to people groups, but we want to focus on unreached people groups on the basis of that Bible verse. Uh, We want to take the gospel out uh, to all nations, uh, to all of these people groups where the gospel hasn't gone to. Uh, But what does it mean to be unreached? That's another term. Uh, And uh, here's one definition again. A people group is unreached where there is no indigenous community of believing Christians able to evangelize this people group. So, in other words... There may be one or two Christians among a people group, but there's not enough that they can uh, go and reach out to their own people. So they need outside help. Uh, But they get to a certain point when there's enough Christians among them that they're able to spread the gospel themselves without help from outside. Uh, So that's uh, an unreached group is a group that hasn't met that, that isn't able to reach out with the gospel itself. And how many unreached groups are there? there? Nobody knows, Right. (laughs) Uh, It depends how you count them, and and different groups use different ways of counting them. So one group says there are 13,000 people groups around the world, and 4,000 of them are unreached. Another group says there are 27,000, and 13,000 of them are are unreached. They're all different ways, Um, but uh, whichever way you look at it, there's a whole bunch of people, uh, a third of the people groups, or a half of the people groups in the world, uh, where the gospel hasn't reached them in any significant way. Uh, so the task is huge. Um, there's a lot to be done um, to reach the different people with, with the gospel. Now this is a, a kind of a summary of... It. I probably need a little, little bit more rewording, um, so don't try and memorize it yet. But this is kind of a, a summary of... of what we want to be about in, in relation to all of that. We want to raise up missionaries to reach unreached people groups, both through witness to people who live in Streatham, and by equipping and sending church planters out to other regions and countries. So that's what we want to be as a church. We want to both look at Streatham and the people groups in Streatham, those who are unreached in Streatham, and we want to look further afield to what else is happening in the world. Where can we reach the unreached and go out into all the world uh, as well as going out into Streatham uh, with the gospel. Uh, Let me say that again. We want to raise up missionaries to reach unreached people groups both through witness to people who live in Streatham and by equipping and sending church planters out to other regions and countries. If you wanted to kind of think further there's some different places you can look to research more into these things. Um, or maybe if you, See me if you want details of those rather than write it down. Uh, but John Piper's written a very <coughs> good thing on unreached people groups. Um, got The Gospel Coalition, in fact, just this week, has done a very good one on when, when do you stop mission? When, when do you say a, a group has been reached? Um, and then there's a couple of articles I've written down the bottom on the different world views how they interact and also how far should we engage in culture. So there are some different articles that you can look up if you want to find out more. But now some questions for you to think about. What will you change in the light of this, the fact that uh, we need to go outside of our comfort zone? What are you personally prepared to change? What are we as a church prepared to change? What should we change? What shouldn't we change? And are we going to change how we try and reach people in, in Streatham. You know, are we going to continue doing what we've done before, what we did at Balham, what we did uh, at the church we were at before? Uh, are we going to try and do it something different to try and reach the people in Streatham? Are we going to think about using different tools and methods to evangelise? Uh, Christianity Explored is something that's been really helpful for us, uh, and many people have become Christians through that. Uh, but is that going to work for all the people in Streatham? Is that, is that the best tool to use? Is that the only tool to use? Should be looking at other ways to evangelize. And third question, what will you do to speak their language, to cross over into their culture, to, uh, to try and be more like uh, uh, those friends we have, those from other cultures, uh, so that we can actually have something to talk about and we can have a, an inroad into with the gospel uh, with those people. And then the last one, uh, how can we can or should we do church differently uh, to disciple those from other cultures better? You know, should we change what we do so that we can reach other people who are not the same as us, who haven't had that same cultural background? Uh, should we do that or shouldn't we? Uh, so those are some questions. Maybe if you want to just, um, in your groups, on your table, just uh, think about some of those for a few minutes, uh, and then we'll feedback and see what you think. Okay, should we get your feedback (coughs) now? Right, um, anyone want to share their feedback uh, that you had on these questions? Just what what you've been been talking about? (laughs) What's your feedback? Got any comments or questions? Even?
5: Yeah, two tactics we're discussing: one is that you target particular groups within Streatham. the young, the old, the Somali, whatever—we didn't talk about these. I'm adding a bit of context. Uh, and the other one is you try to re- reach
0: everyone. Did you think that was possible to reach everyone? Uh, you mean just sort of your forms yes. of evangelism would be ones that anyone could, like yes. on the street corner or something, yeah. or so n- knocking on doors, for example.
5: Well, not, sorry,
1: other people. So I think Jim posted a good point there, that in the end we're supposed to be recreating heaven on earth, mm-hmm. and heaven is all people, all facing God together. Um, and so that's the challenge. Is that what we should be doing? Should we have a church that is an expression of heaven, or should we be trying to polarise ourselves? Uh, and that's where we're kind of asking. Okay. All those <laughs> but it's interesting. But it's like we could be we actually because we're all different even if we in ourselves only focus on one particular people group, then because that would be different to someone else's, then in some respect assuming we're all be able to do so, mm. we can end up creating something that is very multicultural mm. even if in ourselves we're we we do not we would feel like it would be a bit of a mind blowing possibility to try and reach lots of different cultures maybe. Mm.
2: That relates to what we were chatting about a little bit here. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Debbie was saying even a simple thing like having some neighbours around for lunch mm. and she's kicking herself because she didn't invite any church people from that which would have sparked off relationships and actually if we've each got different communities we're reaching into then we can have that but also knowing settings in which we can invite people in so if we end up with a conversation with someone in the supermarket or whatever we know where that conversation could lead. Mm. I don't have answers to that. <laughs>
1: actually I think something's just been resolved in my mind so there's a, an alcoholic guy that I've wanted to invite for lunch <coughs> and of course if I invite other Christians they shouldn't be surprised that he's there what I can't do is invite my neighbours because they'd be utterly shocked um, so that's what I need to do so watch out next time you get an invite for lunch because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's the warm. environment I should be able to bring him yeah. into, <laughs> yeah. because he wouldn't be, be judged on who he is yeah. uh, by this group of people yeah Mm-hmm.
0: it's not a wiser challenge for us as church we should, be, we should be like anyone you yeah. mm-hmm. 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, know I think did anyone get to the last question uh, is it on there? Um, no the, the question about yeah church how should we do church differently no not so much that one the attractional thing so we, I think over here we talked about how much should we change church to attract, be attractive to people, if you like, versus going out there? Did anyone sort of look at that? I know you did on this table. Anyone else? Mm, we, we didn't look at that, but um, I was just wondering
1: to point out that it, as opposed to people group, it couldn't even be the same people group if you call, let's say, a, t- a teenage group. The teenagers are a different people group. Um, Very different, Yes. <laughs> but if a teenager came here they probably like out through the door as fast as they could I mean I, I don't I don't think that church our church I mean I'm not even talking about the message we, we're we not read you know we should ask the teenagers in this room but I don't think they don't know that, that it is it would interest them enough to say that, that the teenage culture is very different to what we think and I you know I don't think they I mean it would be great to reach them more youth in the future um, but I don't you know
4: um, we can, we'll have to change things the way we do things yeah, I'm sorry. i just sorry you know, one sort of challenge to thinking about that is, is I suppose we want people so, so I was thinking two things Well, of thing thing I was thinking was well, there's a sense in which you think there's two things that can be this link so you could go out in order to tell people where they'll find a the community and so that they go right. out so that they'll come in and you're not going out to pull in order just to give people a message but you're going out in order to bring them into something so to compel them to come in And so the end goal isn't that they just get a message but the end goal is that they they do come in and so whatever they come into has to be attractive enough that they want to stay like I was saying and then the other thing is that we, we're we trying to bring them into a community not just to a Sunday service Sunday yeah. meeting they, 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 so it could be hoped that they're actually what they find in this one hour and a half on a Sunday isn't that attractive to them, but what they find throughout the week mm-hmm. being part of the community keeps mm-hmm. them coming until we have mm-hmm. got something more for them. Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe yeah, and, and the people that they meet, so it might not be... They might sit through the talk and think, this isn't relevant to me, but then have a conversation with mm-hmm. someone who really shows an interest in them that mm-hmm. they haven't had before or they didn't get to school or home and I think actually... Because we're trying to be Christ-like, you'll see something in that. We were talking about Holly um, mentioned that the largest people group in Stratton is Portuguese. And we were quite surprised; like four of us were quite surprised by that. And then we started picking out people we actually know who are Portuguese. And then, okay, we actually come across quite a lot of them just naturally. So our builders are Portuguese. Um, I'm thinking that actually, what what do they enjoy doing most? Probably. You know, sharing food together were um, some Brazilians at CCB and they were really you know, having a meal was a big part of their culture mm. actually that's quite easy to do <laughs> it's not kind of mm. lots of these things aren't rocket science mm. yeah there's a fear that it's going to be hard
5: yeah
0: mm. Mm. Um, Jim and then Carl briefly just picking
5: up the fear I think there is a fear that we're not good enough and that it's not right we're meeting in the stress dressing- Youth and Community Trust building, <laughs> <laughs> and we're saying we're going to struggle to meet the youth. Well, we're in their house. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, I think, that's yeah. maybe not fear too much, we need to be bold. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but I think the, the challenge is, um, I mean, okay, so if you take it to an extreme, you've got Hillsong, which is very attractional. You know, so loads of people go to a Hillsong Church. Because it's it's exactly what teenagers love, you know, and young people. So uh, it's very attractional. Um, uh, But there's not much opportunity within that for a you know sort of clear Bible teaching. Uh, So um, versus you could make a a church very strong on Bible teaching. It's not at all attractional. It's not attractive to to any uh, outsiders to come in. Um, And then you you go out and reach them, and you know you sort of. Uh, by having dinner parties or whatever, to, or, or have a meal with the Portuguese. Yeah, so there's, there's, not, there's, uh, there's two things to think about.
5: I know you're speaking on the spot, but I would challenge that the Bible is not attractional. That's why we're all Christians, and we all become Christians at different moments in life. And we, mustn't, we mustn't be afraid, and we mustn't limit how attractive the Gospel is in its purest sense.
1: Thinking about my own conversion, the thing that's attracted to me, the people from the TLC, that's the first thing mm-hmm. that held me there, and over time being made to attend Jesus. <laughs> <But> and <laughs> also a yeah. their enthusiasm for Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yes. someone saying, actually, yeah. you know, like, I think I first met Jesus through, you know, I was 17, and a guy of 23 saying, Jesus is you know, someone you want to get to know. Isn't he? Hmm. Why is this 23-year-old Jesus is worth knowing? So I think hmm. you, us preaching Christ, You know we preach Christ, hmm. he is going to influence teenagers' so.
4: lives. Hmm. Yeah. So in some ways there's a challenge you know, for the Bible to be attractional, the Bible to be changing us. Hmm. If, the Bible, if people come to a place where the Bible's being spoken, it's not. Hmm. but it's yeah. not changing the people, then yeah. that isn't attraction.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Alex wants to... I
2: was just thinking of that we want to be doing both, and I was just prompted to think about the, the um, Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus goes out to her, and he knows something about her, and just unlocks her life. Mm-hmm. And then, when she is seemingly converted, she then goes out to um, to her friends, to her Samaritan friends, and, and says um, uh her testimony is he told me everything I ever did. He told me everything about myself. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words many more became believers. We want that to happen to us. We're like the woman at the well. Jesus has spoken into our lives with his word, by his spirit. And we want to go out and <laughs> tell other people, come and listen to the guy who told me everything about myself. And that would be their experiences. As we were looking at before Christmas, you know, God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we want to be praying every time we come to church, not only that we would be changed, but that others visiting would be changed, because Jesus would tell them everything about themselves that they never knew, they never realised.
0: Okay, I think. Oh, sorry, Carl, did you ever yeah, say your piece?
3: Uh, I was just saying, just going back to that parable um, that we read at the beginning, it's go up quickly into the streets and alleys and bring in the poor and crippled line the lane it seems to we respond um, more readily to our invitation rather than the, our friends who sort of turn, turned us down. Um, that's that's quite quite tough. Mm-hmm. But just, just thinking sort of practically, I mean um, most of us don't actually live within the minute immediate vicinity of this building, the church, and most certainly most of us don't work in Stratton. Um, our time but most of our time is spent elsewhere in other parts of London with our work colleagues. So what is is the priority here? (coughs) Is it rush home from work, ignore our work colleagues and Mm -hmm. do Streatham? You know, it boils it to be where I think God has put me, which is in our workplaces Mm -hmm. with colleagues that we are interacting day by day. And is that the people group we should be reaching? I think, obviously, the gospel's
0: bigger than yeah. just Stratum. And, and I guess who else is going to reach those colleagues at work, if, <coughs> if you're not? Well, there may be others, but it may you may be the only gospel witness there. So, yeah. yeah.
1: But then there are, you know, I'm faced with being in Stratum pretty locked. <laughs> yeah, be some in the people locked. are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, like, I will be there also wanting maybe other people to meet my hands. Mm. So, mm. so, like, although it won't necessarily be that uh, your focus will be on stratum because we're going to be kind of interdependent. Mm-hmm. There will be someone that you're connected with in the church who will be very stratum centric, and mm-hmm. you can, but then you know, how far can you stretch your capacity? But like, yeah. that's definitely something that you can think about is how you can
5: serve others rather than, yeah,
0: just yeah. Connections. So, I think we'd have to. Last comment, then. <laughs> very briefly. <laughs> a little one. We've been living in Spain for a
5: long time, but our focus was in tooting. Since our focus has changed to Streatham, mm. it has transformed the relationships we have with people around us in Stretton. Mm. Mm.
0: Just That's good. a testament. Yes. Yeah. I, I think this is the, the intention of this is very much to get people thinking, mm. and not to give the answers. Uh, but, you know, we, we can just keep the status quo do what we've always done, or we can think about how can I go outside my comfort zone and uh, with a, a view to bring the gospel to you know, the people around me. So uh, you know, keep on thinking and praying about it.